Uh, so please open your Bibles to Colossians 3. We're going to be uh, looking at verses 5 through 7, specifically verse 5, uh, as, as MJ read for us. And in the annals of Greek mythology, if you're familiar with Greek mythology, there is the story of Sisyphus. Sisyphus, according to myth, was the founding king of the ancient city of Corinth. And the great poet Homer called Sisyphus the most cunning man who ever lived. And how did he get this reputation? Well, according to myth, he was able to cheat death, not once, but twice. He, he was able to escape the underworld multiple times and trick death multiple times. And so for his punishment, because the gods had had enough of his trickery, this is what Zeus made Sisyphus do. He had to roll a boulder up to the top of a hill and over onto the other side. And you think, hey, that doesn't seem like such a bad punishment, but here's what happened. Every time the boulder would get to the top, its weight would fall back down onto Sisyphus and roll all the way back down, and he would have to start over. And so he was doomed to an eternal punishment of rolling this rock up to the top of the hill only to fail, and it fall back down, and he had to start over. And I wonder how many of us, when we think about change, when we think about change in our lives or maybe change in our relationships, feel a bit like Sisyphus, meaning we extend a ton of effort and we put work into rolling this boulder of change up to the hill, trying to push it over to see change happen. And right when we're at the top, it seems like everything comes crashing down and we're back to the beginning. I wonder if any of you this morning would sort of say, hey, that's kind of how life feels right now. That's what it looks like when I, when I try to see change happen in my life and in my relationships. Well, friends, here's what we need to recognize. That sort of hamster wheel of futility and failure that we can experience, that is the fruit of do better and try harder. That is the fruit of trying to see change take place in our own strength and through our own discipline. Like If we put our hope in our own ability to do better next time, and our own strength to change, hey, look, your life is going to be like Sisyphus. You're going to be doomed to fail, and it's going to be on repeat. It's never, the, the true change that you need is never going to happen. You're never going to experience it. We need something greater. We need a greater power. We need a better practice than do better and try harder. And that's what the Apostle Paul points us to in Colossians 3 this morning. So we're in the second week of our Relationships Reformed series. And this morning, I, I want to take another message, one more message, to kind of talk about kind of an overview, kind of, a, kind of a, a large picture, big picture framework, so that when we dive into the rest of Colossians 3 and really look at the ways that our relationships are called to change in the gospel, that as we're, as we're trying to grow, we're, we're putting into practice things better than do better and try harder that we're actually following the biblical model of change. And so the framework that I want to talk about that is here in Colossians 3 and in other places in the New Testament is that of putting off or putting to death sin and putting on Christ, putting on the new life that we have in him. This putting off and putting on is, a, is something that's taught in numerous places in the Bible. And look, this is far better and far more powerful than do better and try harder. This is actually the, the pathway to change because this is the way that is empowered by the Spirit, empowered by the gospel. And, and so to experience freedom from sin and growth in godliness and gospel reformation in our lives and relationships, the practice of putting off and putting on is the one the Bible calls us to. And so 
for this, this morning, here's the main point that I want to I wanna highlight and I want us to, to consider. To experience gospel reformation, we put off sin and put on new life in Christ. To, to experience gospel reformation, we put off sin and put on new life in Christ. And I want to unpack this idea by looking at the why we do this and then the how. How do we do this? So first, let's talk about the why. In, in verse 5, Colossians 3, 5, Paul tells us this. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, or sin. Your sin nature is what he means by earthly nature. And then later in verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on, and then he goes to list Christ-like qualities. And so here's the pattern we see. Put off, put to death these things, but then put on these other things. Put off and put on. And at the beginning of both of these statements, there is the word therefore. And we can't gloss over therefore because therefore is an important part of our understanding of why we do this. So when you see a therefore in a sentence, what what it is signaling is, hey, what I'm about to tell you to do, the reason why is because everything that I've just said. Or in light of everything that I just said, because of what it is, this is what you are now to do. And so therefore kind of bridges the gap between why and what. And if we remember from last week, in the book of Colossians overall, and then in, into chapter 3, the, the main theme is the glory and supremacy of Jesus. Like, like Paul is exalting the superiority of Christ above all things. He's saying Christ is the center of our salvation and of our life, and that God is uniting all things in him under his kingship. And so Christ is preeminent and supreme. And then in light of that, for us who are in Christ, Paul begins Colossians 3 by telling us these incredible truths that we've died with Christ and we've been raised to new life and our life is now hidden in him and when he returns and his glory is revealed, then that glory will be our glory. And so in light of all of that, in light of the supremacy of Christ and who we are in Jesus, therefore put to death what is earthly in your nature and put on new life in Christ. Why do we do this? Because of who Jesus is and who we are in Christ. Because of the glory and supremacy of Jesus Christ and who we are in him. Look, Jesus Christ, our resurrected and reigning king. Who is he? He is a king of righteousness and glory and goodness and love and joy and peace and forgiveness and kindness and patience. Jesus Christ, he is all of these things. And so for us to follow him, for for us to exalt him and be his disciples... We turn from our sin and we turn to those things in him. Friends, to to follow Jesus means to turn to him in faith, yes, and he is our savior, but he is also our king. The Bible never pulls those two things apart. To follow Christ as your savior means to follow him as your king because he is the glorious and exalted one. And so we follow Christ because he is our savior and our king. We put to death what is earthly in our nature and we put on new life in Christ because of who he is. Paul makes this a little bit more explicit in Ephesians 4. This is what he writes. Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart. And so Paul's like, hey, you don't walk like the Gentiles. You don't walk like those who do not know God anymore. Rather, but that is not how you came to know Christ. 
assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self corrupted by deceitful desires. When you learn Jesus, when you're taught by Jesus, here's what you do. You put off your old self and you put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity and the truth. Friends, following Jesus is not just something we do in sort of mentally assent and do a checkbox of like, yeah, I believe these things about Jesus. No, that's not discipleship. That's not following Christ. Following Jesus is a whole-bodied submitting our entire lives, our entire beings to him as our king. We submit our lives and we follow him in faith and obedience. Look, being a disciple is not a secondary, add-on, casual thing. It is the thing. It is the identity that defines all other identities. If our approach to Christ is sort of this like casual, secondary add-on, we're not following Jesus. Think of it this way. Um, Those of you that are married or we understand, all of us understand what marriage is, like to be married, to enter into that relationship, that covenant, transforms your identity. It changes who you are and it changes the way you live. You don't live the same way before you're married and after you're married because if you don't see that identity as a, as a spouse, as a husband and a wife, if it doesn't affect and change the way you live, then you're going to do violence to the meaning of marriage. You're going to do violence to the significance of the meaning of that relationship. And the same thing is with us, with our discipleship. Why do we put off sin and put on new life in Christ? Because Christ is king, because of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. And with this, and don't miss this, to be a disciple of Jesus is to be in Christ, to be united by him, with him in faith through the Spirit and so that his death to sin is now your death to sin. And his resurrection life is now your resurrection life. His glory will be the glory that one day utterly transforms you. You, you walk in completely new spiritual life if you are in Jesus. You are now dead to sin, you're alive in Christ, you're empowered and renewed by the Holy Spirit, you're loved by the Father, you are people that are no longer bound by and enslaved to and loyal to sin. That is who you are in Jesus. And in light of that, it makes absolute sense that we would put to death sin and put on new life in Christ. Why do we put to death what is earthly in us? Why do we put on Christ-likeness and new life? Because of the message of the gospel and the power of the gospel gives us every reason, every hope, and every power to do so. That's the why. But there's another layer here that's important for us to recognize. It actually may be, if if you read Colossians 3, 1 through 4, and then verse 5, you might actually have a question about this. See, in Colossians 3, 3, Paul says, we've died, meaning we've died to sin and we've died to the things of this earth. And yet, in verse 5, he says, put to death what is earthly in, in you. And so how, how do we, if we've died, why do we still need to put to death? And that is a great question. And, and understanding that dynamic is so important to understanding how we grow and what goes on in this experience, in this life as followers of Jesus. So let, let, let's make this clear. Let's, let's try to understand how both of these two things are true and what Paul means. So to say that we've died with Christ, and we've died to sin and died to earthly things, mean we have died to sin as our master. 
It no longer has control over us. We're no longer enslaved to its power. We're no longer loyal to its sinful desires. If I can use a tech analogy here, that we have died to sin means that sin is no longer our operating software. It's no longer our primary operating software. It's not the principle and program we live by. It's no longer the thing that most gives shape to our desires and our thoughts and our actions. The power of sin, its dominion, its claim on our lives, its mastery over us, all of that we've died to. That power has been broken. We're no longer loyal to it. But while we've died to sin, it hasn't been eradicated. While we've died to sin, it's still present. Look, for those in Christ, sin is no longer the master of the house, but sin still is in the house. Sin no longer dominates and controls you, but it's still present. Sin is still present in our earthly human nature, as Paul says in verse 5. Sin is still present in our bodies, because while our bodies are good, these are good, they were made by God, because our bodies are of the earth right now, they have been corrupted by sin. And so sin is still present. And here's the other part. When sin was the master of the house, it made a mess of things. It made a mess of things. It was a disaster. And it formed us. It formed our minds, our thoughts, our desires, our actions, our habits in rebellion to God. It formed us in ways counter to Christ. And when you become a Christian, hear me on this, when you become a Christian, sometimes God instantaneously sets you free from a desire and a habit. But largely he does not. Sometimes you, I mean, some of you have experienced radical transformation in a moment, set free from desire, set free from alcoholism and addiction, set free from anger, set free from sexual addiction. Like sometimes God does that and praise God when he does that. But more often, while we've been set free from sin, we still have to be reformed. We still have to experience renewal, especially those deeper set sins. Those things that have lodged themselves deep down in the core of who we are, that takes time. That that takes the power of the Spirit, as we're going to see here. And so why do we put to death sin and put on Christ? Because we need to be remade. We need reformation and renewal. When we are saved, like our sins are paid in full, praise God. The power of sin and our allegiance to it and slavery to it is broken. But man, there's the work of reformation the root work of renewal that God is still doing in this life. In our lives, that is the process, that is, that is what we give our lives to, that is what's happening in our lives as we follow Jesus. And so friends, don't, don't miss this. We are in Christ. We are absolutely in Christ, secure in him. Our lives are hidden in him. We are sons and daughters of God. But at the same time, we need to become what we are. Well, we have this identity, we are, we are these things in Christ, but now we are being remade in what we are. That's why we put off sin and put to death sin and put on Christ. Well, we still need to be remade in the image of God. Our thoughts and our desires and our habits and our relationships still need to be reformed in obedience to and in the image of Christ. This is why scripture over and over and over again tells us put off sin and put on Christ. Why it says work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Work in the power that God provides because we need to be remade and renewed. And so friends, if we're going to experience gospel renewal, 
if we're going to experience reformation in our lives and our relationships, we have to take this seriously. Because sin wants to still form you. Sin still wants to derail your life and wreck your life. Sin, Sin is still there tempting you. It's still a part of our existence. And so we need to take this seriously. And so do you see your need for this? Do you see the why? Do, 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 you, do you hear Christ's call to you in this? Put off your sin and put on new life in me. Do you see that because of the gospel message and the power of the gospel, you have every reason, every hope, and every power to do this? That is the why. Now, how do we do this? How, how do we put off sin and put on Christ? Let me give you four categories for this that all kind of build off of each other. First, we do this by the Spirit. We put off sin and put on Christ by the Spirit. As as the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then he says this in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. We put off and put on by the Spirit. Look, we cannot do this in our own power. Well, we cannot do this on our own because in and of ourselves, we are in rebellion to God. In and of ourselves, we are enslaved to sin. In and of ourselves, we have no hope to defeat sin as our master because in and of ourselves, we actually love our sin. Even when we hate it, we love it. In and of ourselves, our minds and our hearts are darkened. In and of ourselves, we could never free ourselves from the power of sin because we have been enslaved to it. We have to have the Spirit of God. As the great 17th century theologian John Owen wrote, how can anyone who does not have the Spirit mortify, which is to put to death, sin? It would be easier to see without eyes or speak without a tongue than to truly mortify sin without the Spirit. And he's not exaggerating. Like, literally, it would be easier to see without eyes and speak without a tongue than us being able to overcome our sin without the Spirit. And if that seems like an exaggeration, that just speaks to how helpless we are without the Spirit. Look, we may make some changes. In and of ourselves, like, we can can change things about ourselves. We can make some improvements. We We can seek to live a better life. But we're not set free from sin. Like, we're still, we would still be enslaved to sin. We would not be experiencing life in Jesus. We need the Spirit. And here's the good news of the Spirit, that the Spirit unites us to Christ and sets us free from sin. The Spirit breathes new life into us, and it's through the Spirit we experience the resurrection power of Christ in us. Like, if we're going to put to death our sin and put on new life in Christ, we need the Spirit. It's only by the Spirit we escape the hamster wheel of the failure and futility of do better and try harder. And look, it's not a matter of self-discipline or religious ritual. It is being transformed, is being possessed by the Spirit. And how does that happen if you're in Christ? For those who are in Christ have the Spirit. He's poured out the Spirit on them. So the question for all of us this morning, whether in the room or on live stream, are you in Christ? Are you in Jesus? For those who are in Jesus have the Spirit. And so this morning, if you're not in Christ, let me call you to Jesus. 
Let me tell you that in Jesus, you can know full forgiveness and salvation. You can be set free from sin. You can know life and joy and peace. And one day, he will glorify you and transform you as he is transforming all things. Like Jesus holds out his grace to you this morning. If you are in Christ, though, the word of God calls you and says, hey, put off and put on, but don't do this in your own power. Do this by the Spirit. And so we put off and put on through the Spirit or by the Spirit and one of the primary, most important ways that we do this is through the habits of grace. Like last year, we did a whole series talking about the habits of grace or maybe you've heard them called the spiritual disciplines. And practices such as worship and reading God's word and being in prayer and confessing sin and Sabbath rest and fasting and giving and sharing our faith and serving and living in community. And if you remember what we talked about last year, like what we said is, hey, living by the Spirit is not this like mystical, hyper-spiritual, otherworldly thing. No, living by the Spirit takes place in our ordinary lives, like down in the dirt of our ordinary lives. That's where the power of the Spirit works and meets us. It's in our ordinary habits. Like, yes, sometimes there are these incredible experiences that we have, but mostly the Spirit works just through these ordinary means. And in these habits, these means of grace, these spiritual disciplines, what happens? Our hearts are shaped and they're reformed by the Spirit. Look, these aren't religious rituals trying to earn God's favor. They're not religious rituals to try to get God to like you and so that you're in his good graces and then he'll do things for you. No, these are means by which God has promised and said, hey, I will meet you in this. My Spirit will meet you in this. My power will work through and I will transform you and I will change you and, and, I, and you will experience me in these things. This is what theologian J.I. Packer writes in his book, Keeping in Step with the Spirit. The Spirit works through means, through the objective means of grace. The Spirit shows us his power, that shows his power in us, not by constantly interrupting our use of these means with visions and impressions or prophecies, but rather by making these regular means effective to change, change us for the better and for the wiser as we go along. Habit forming is the Spirit's ordinary way of leading us on in holiness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control are all of them habitual ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving. And so friends, through the habits of grace, as we worship together, as we are in God's word, as we pray, as we confess sin, as we rest, as we fast, as we give generously, as we share our faith, as we live in communities, we do all of these means God has given us and the spirit has promised to work through, we are being changed. Sin is being weakened Deep in our heart, a love for Christ grows and his glory and, and our sense of his greatness grows. In those moments, God is deep, deepening how we are like Jesus and we're, we're growing to love like Christ. We're, we're growing in more worship of Christ. Like, look, every time you sit down maybe to read the Bible or pray or just engage whatever habit it is, it's not like you, you know, sit down and have an experience and then you stand up and it's like, man, everything is different. I was on the mountaintop. I, I saw the Lord. Hey, look, sometimes you have these really incredible experiences, but whether it's like awesome and like knocks you over or whether it was just kind of a normal, hey, the Spirit's at work. The Spirit is transforming you. He's at work because he's promised. It's not because of our discipline. 
And it's not because of our intelligence. It's not because we're gifted at prayer or because we can fast for 40 days. It's because the Spirit has promised to work through those things. And so as we give ourselves to the habits of grace, we are empowered to put to death our sin and put on Christ. Our sinful desires are weakened and our desire for Christ grows. And so get this, friends. Get this. Gospel reformation, whether it's in your life overall or in your relationships, gospel reformation will not happen apart from the habits of grace. You need these because the Spirit works through them. And friends, if he's promised to meet us, if we don't have to guess, if we know he's at work no matter what, why would we not give ourselves to these things? Well, why would we not practice these habits knowing that the grace of Christ is abundant to us and they form us? And so we put off and we put on by the Spirit through the habits of grace and then with our bodies. Our bodies are where sin, our earthly desires, get acted out. And it's where gospel reformation takes place. So when we put sin to death, here's what we're doing. We're putting to death embodied actions. We're putting to death thoughts and desires. We're putting to death habits. We're putting to death things that our bodies are involved in. And so simply put, to put to death sin is to stop sinning with your body, <laughs> To, to stop giving your body and submitting your body over to sin. Part of putting to death is willfully and actively choosing not to sin with our bodies and then willfully choosing to be obedient to Christ with our bodies. There is an exercise of will, empowered by the Spirit, yes, but an exercise of our will with our bodies that is required to put to death and to put on. And, and friends, here, here's why I want to highlight this because a lot of times in, in gospel-centered churches, which we very much are a part of, we, we can really bag on behavior modification. Like we will hammer behavior modification because it, it never gets at the root, which is sin and idolatry. And look, humanistic, self-reliant behavior modification, absolutely, does not change. It is a recipe for that hamster wheel of futility and failure. However, gospel-enlivened, Holy Spirit-empowered behavior modification, for lack of a better term, is absolutely on display in Colossians 3. Paul is saying, stop practicing with your bodies habits of sexual immorality and anger and malice and deceit and start practicing with your bodies kindness and compassion and honesty and purity and love and truth. Give your bodies to habits that form you in the likeness of Christ. That, that is part of changing behavior. We stop doing one thing and start doing another thing. Look, if you're waiting around for God to zap you, then you don't understand how biblical reformation takes place. And, and let, me, let me also add this as, as a way to kind of press a little bit too. Like, look, if, if you think that if I just think deeply enough about Jesus or know enough theology or meditate long enough, or pray long enough, that I'm just going to magically be transformed. Like, that's not how biblical reformation works either. Like, the habits of grace are meant to fuel and empower what our bodies do. And so we can't think our ways into transformation. We can't meditate our way into transformation. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Like, prayer fuels and prayer does affect transformation. But prayer is meant to empower action. 
with our bodies. And, and so at best, we need to be careful that we don't have a misunderstanding. At worst, we need to be careful we're not being spiritually lazy. Too often, I think, because I, I know I can be this, I can be spiritually lazy. I think I, I can just sort of, like, this is just going to happen independent of whether I, I'm not checking my body or not. And no, God calls us to check our bodies, put off habits that lead to sin, and put on habits that shape you in Christ. As Dallas Willard reminds us, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Grace is opposed to earning. We don't earn our salvation. We don't earn what we are trying, like the, the, the love of God. But grace empowers us to put forth the effort to put off and put on. And so, friends, if you're going to see gospel reformation in your life, if you're going to see gospel reformation in your relationships, you're going to have to put off some practices. You're going to have to put, on some ha- put off some practices and habits that have been shaped in anger and malice and deceit and impurity and sexual immorality. And you're going to have to put on practices that are formed in love and kindness and compassion and goodness and truth and purity. We're going to have to take stock of our actions and our behaviors and say, what is God calling me to stop and put to death and what is he calling me to start and put on? And here's also what we need to recognize. You know how you know the difference between behavior modification and, and this actual putting off and putting on your motivation. Like, if your motivation is just, man, the conflict in my relationship, I just don't like it, and I want conflict to be over because I just want peace, and, and I'm tired of fighting because it's just upsetting my world, hey, look, you're going to chase behavior modification because that's just really about you and being comfortable. But if your motivation is, I want to be like Jesus, like, I want to know Jesus deeply. I want to worship Christ deeply. I want my life to reflect his glory and his goodness. I want other people to know Jesus. That is putting off and putting on. We don't put off and put on to make our lives more comfortable or just to end conflict. We put off and put on to be like Jesus. And so by the Spirit, through the habits of grace, with our bodies, and finally, in humility and hope. Uh, Like we put off and we put on recognizing that the work of reformation isn't easy. Like this isn't easy. Like killing sin, (laughs) battling sin, it isn't easy. It's hard. It's difficult. It's painful. Like we need grace. We need God. We need Jesus. The Christian life is not growing to this place where you no longer need grace. (laughs) You always need grace. We need the Spirit. We recognize that putting off and putting on is a lifelong process, so we're humble before that. We're humble before God in our dependence and our need. We say with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.12, not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Look, we're humble in the process because we're not perfect, but we're also hopeful Did you catch what Paul said? I put forth every effort and I take hold of this because Christ has taken hold of me. Like he puts forth effort because Jesus has him. He's hopeful. He's hopeful because of what Christ has done. Look, when we recognize every sin has been paid in full, like every sin, if you are in Jesus, has been paid that the power of sin has been broken, that the Spirit is empowering and renewing us, that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ and that he who began a good work in you will complete it, you have every hope. You have every hope. 
Friends, here's, here's what I don't want us to make, the mistake I don't want us to make, because this sort of permeates our culture. Like, we've been in this cultural moment for, I don't know, five, ten years, where being honest and authentic about your brokenness and weakness is kind of the thing, and that's good. Like, look, as we sang this morning, we don't have to hide our weakness. We don't have to pretend. So we can be weak, we can be honest and, and humble, but here's what we do. Too often, Christians, we wallow. We act as if Jesus didn't get out of the grave and raise us to new life. Like, we have every hope because the Spirit of God is working in us. And yes, there are going to be tears. There are going to be times of sorrow. There are times of mourning. Like, we, we're still walking a path of suffering. We, we haven't reached glory yet. But friends, <laughs> Jesus has come out of the grave. He's raised us to new life. The Spirit dwells in us. We have every hope. And that's what I want us to take hold of through the tears, through the trials, through the suffering, through the painful process of change, we take hope and we are active and we are putting off and putting on because we are confident in God's power in our life. We're confident in his promises. So let's be humble, but let's be hopeful. So friends, as, as we are going to dive into the heart of our Relationships Reform series in the coming weeks, and we consider what the reformation God is calling us to, let's not do better and try harder. Let's put off and put on. Let's live in light of the gospel message and who Jesus is and live in the power that we have in Christ. Because of who Jesus is and because of the power of the gospel, we have every hope, every reason, and every power. And so let us, by the Spirit's, through the means of grace, with our bodies, in hope and humility, put off and put on. Amen? Let's pray.